Hi everybody, it's Tony here in my car. Tony Martin gave me that tip, the great Australian comedian, well New Zealand born comedian Tony Martin said that if you're ever stuck for a quiet place, just get in your car and start talking there. I remember a great episode of Sizzletown where we talked about a log jam of podcasters sitting in their cars talking into blue fluffy microphone heads, which is me right now in Abbotsford. Tony here. Thank you to everyone who signed up at Speakola. The site to go to, news.speakola.com, or sign up to the newsletter when you're on the speakola.com website. Really appreciate those who have gone paid as well. It keeps me going. It means I can keep my office at the Abbotsford Convent. It means I can pay for the web hosting and the equipment to record the podcast and even a little bit for the time finding guests. It's a special episode today in the sense that it's really a bonus episode. We've already had Andrew Rule on the podcast. He was on two episodes ago, or was it three episodes ago, talking about a eulogy he delivered for his father, Keith Rule. But in this little adjunct episode, Andrew Rule talks about a eulogy he gave for a fellow great of Australian newspapers. And that man is a person I actually sent a fan letter to when I was in my 20s. Les Carline. He used to write a lot of articles for The Age about horse racing. I had a book growing up called True Grit. It was one of my favourite sports books. Made me want to be a sports writer. And then Les Carline captured popular acclaim and pretty much every writing award in the country around the turn of the century when he wrote his amazing Gallipoli, a gripping and visceral account of Australia's most famous military campaign, a failed military campaign at Gallipoli in Turkey. Les Carline followed up with a book called The Great War, which is another excellent read. And he was just a master of nonfiction, a master of words. And that's captured perfectly in the eulogy we're going to feature today, which is Andrew Rule's eulogy for him. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields. If you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. Fraud, sham, and hypocrisy. Change within the system. The hollow man of anger and bitterness all must be left to a bygone age. I understand victory. I understand sacrifice. Speak over. I may not get there with you. And we as a people will get to the promised land. Tony Wilson. Well, I've had one Andrew Rule episode, and this one's a much shorter one, but I also wanted to feature another eulogy he did. He delivered a, a wonderful eulogy to his great journalist mate, Les Carline, and that was uh, four years ago today, and I thought I'd put it up as a podcast and play the speech because it's a beauty. Thanks for joining me again, Andrew. It's a pleasure, Tony. Now, you've given me the ins and outs of eulogies uh, with the example of Keith Rule, your dad, mm. the 1998 eulogy. But for this one, the 2019 eulogy, the 12th of March 2019 eulogy to your great mate, Les, yep. is there anything particular you'd say about this speech? Well, this was a eulogy meant to be delivered live at the service, which was held at Flemington Racecourse, and it was never meant to be a written piece as such. And therefore, it's a little, a little different, a little more adventurous. Probably doesn't look quite as good on the page, but I think it was very effective 
in, I think it was, and the reason I can't remember is I'd just had a massive uh, operation that a few days earlier and I came out of hospital still full of uh, <laughs> drugs and stuff and my son drove me over to Flemington because I wasn't supposed to drive and I gave the eulogy and I can remember s- fragments of that day but not all of it and I can't remember everyone that was there but apparently it went over fairly well. I mean, I, I was from the bottom of my heart and I was so pleased that they wanted me to do it and that I got to do it because I really admired Les. Uh-oh. And um, he was in, in a, you know, I had, my father was a great man and I loved him dearly. But Les was a mentor in journalism. Uh, he was sort of my father in journalism in that, in a way. And and you, you nail that. Like you say that the best obit for Truman Capote wasn't from the New York Times. It was from <laughs> Les Carlin, 20,000 k's away in, in Melbourne. In Baltimore. <laughs> and and you, you, you capture his eccentricity because I, I believe, I knew his son, Pat, who went to school with me. I did I worshipped Les, but I never got to stalk him other than a couple of letters which he always replied to. Yeah. But he was apparently a, a smoker and a Chain smoker. quiet, quite like a very quiet and intense guy. And yeah. Yeah, you capture that like the the only house in North Baldwin with a tractor in the garage. Yes, <laughs> he he was probably borderline eccentric, uh, introverted, um, intense, absolutely obsessed with his craft and the craft the craft of writing and reading and writing. And he would stay up. I'd say an insomniac. Probably he was a great one to ring you at ten o'clock at night and talk till midnight. And he'd say. He'd say, I won't keep you. <laughs> I won't keep you. <laughs> won't keep you, Tony. Uh, and then he'd, he'd talk for, he'd talk about Tolstoy and stock saddles and you know, Dickens and uh, Dorset horn sheep, you know, anything. And All he made it. He said he made a stock saddle. A yeah. He made it. He could do anything. Yeah. Was, look, this, I'm not going to get you to talk for too long about this one because the speech is there. It's a beautiful speech. We've talked about eulogies in the previous episode. I'm just going to say everyone should listen to this speech as a, as a real model uh, eulogy. And I said this in the last step, but your ability to weave from anecdote to anecdote in order to create the larger character picture. Right. This story is just first class. And it's, it's why you it's why you've got the Walkleys, man. There's <laughs> the, uh, the Black Sheep eulogy from my cousin Gavin, who's how to, how to say farewell to a black sheep. Ah, oh, now that the, is the, interesting. The former wives, the uh, well, the, the the children who hate him, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I've read this one. I was yeah. going to ask if you mind if I put that one up. No, it's good. No? Yeah. I'm happy to have it put up. But, yeah. And I'm sure he wouldn't mind, and he's not here to object. So I'll link that. Gavin's eulogies in the show notes, and listen on for a magnificent speech. And thank you very much, Patrick Carline, for, for letting me put that up on Speakola as well. Thanks, Andrew. Lovely stuff from Andrew Rule. And I mentioned it in the last episode with Andrew, but I was on his podcast. It's called Life and Crimes with Andrew Rule. And I did a footy episode. It was black sheep in footy boots. People have had little run-ins with the law. So you can look up Life and Crimes with Andrew Rule. It's a much shorter episode today. And so I thought maybe I'll read out the names of the people who have really helped Speakola over these last few years. And they've done it either through direct donations at speakola.com forward slash donate. Others have joined up at Patreon, which is 
patreon.com forward slash speakola. And most recently, the newsletter has got going through Substack, and that's news.speakola.com. However you've helped, I've really appreciated it. And here are the names. Grant Sapfier, Ray DeCruz, Gillian Rogers, Thomas Mullen, Ted Bailey, the Honourable Ted Bailey, previous podcast guest. Thank you, Ted. Adam Collins, cricket commentator Adam Collins. Thank you, Colo. Dave Isaac, Chris Dines, Carmel Flynn, Andrew Hall, Georgie Costello. She lived next door to me when I was growing up. Thank you, Barrister Georgie Costello. Paul Callanan, brother of my first ever podcast guest, Damien Callanan, the comedian who is appearing at the Comedy Festival. Go and see him. His show is double feature. It should win every award. It's a magnificent, romantic, tragic story. And in fact, if you listen to his episode on Speakola, it flags pretty much the subject matter of his double feature comedy show. Alison Armstrong-Brown, Gail Neighbour, Keith Halloway, Paul Wiegard of Mad Men Entertainment. Thank you, Paul. Denise Beecroft, Pat Caslin, who's got speeches on Speakola. He's in Ireland. Thank you, Pat. Charles Coves, Alison Bessel, Phil Day, Cam McDonald, Paul Ritchie, been a prime ministerial speechwriter. Thank you, Paul. Richard Lindsay, my optometrist, has been a big supporter. Bridget Noonan, Matt Bridges, my neighbour and fellow parent at the primary school. Santo Manor, who's got a few speeches on Speakola, including a eulogy for his dad in three languages, French, Italian and English. Belinda Humphrey, thank you for your direct donation. She did it through PayPal, which you can do at speakola.com forward slash donate. Christina Briggs, thank you Peggy Farris, thank you Suzette Wien, thank you Julie Spence. Peter Sterling, whose wife launched my most successful picture book, The Cow Tripped Over the Moon. Ed McManus, a fellow parent in disability. James McCormack, Shane Richings, Kirsty Trott, Andrew Pritchard, David Tillett, and Serena Ryan. These are people who are above and beyond the $5 per month or $50 per year. And a special big thank you to John Daffy, who's really our supreme donor. John once sent me a cheque for $1,000, and John is the father of Chris Daffy, my best man. I did an episode about Chris Daffy, and he took his own life nine years ago, missed by all of us, and my eulogy to Daff is up as an episode of this podcast. I think it's about episode 13 or 14. Thank you, John Daffy. If you like the eulogy stuff, if you like the history stuff, if you like the inspiration stuff, if you're using Speakola as an educational tool, then please make a commitment, a $5 a month commitment, and join up either at Patreon or news.speakola.com or through the website. Links in show notes. Well, after all that, please play the speech, Tony, and I will. Speech of the week, it is Andrew Rule's eulogy for Les Carline. It was delivered a few days after Les's death on the 12th of March 2019. The venue, very appropriately, was Flemington Racecourse, where Les had produced so many of his best stories and spent so much time. So here it is, Andrew's eulogy for Les Carline. Dear Les... Won't keep you, mate. A lot of people here have heard you say that. Won't keep you. Won't keep you, Andy. An hour later, there you'd be, still yarning away. 
For a quiet man, you could talk like hell on anything, history, newspapers, literature, racing, of course, not just gallopers, but trotters and horses in general and working dogs and crossbred sheep and tips on practical harness maintenance. When Trim and Capote died back in the 80s, the best obituary on him was not published by the New York Times. It was yours, Les. He was up there in your head with Larry McMurtry and Hemingway and Lawson and Tolstoy and other great artists, contemporary artists like Harry White and Roy Higgins and Ted Whitten, Tullicum Manicato. And I note Professor Geoffrey Blaney, who I think is probably Les's greatest role model as a young man, as a writer. In 1980, I was a kid on the age. Mitchell, the sports editor, and he heard me talking about horse breaking. Might as well have been talking Swahili, for all Mitch knew. But he did know that this guy Les would be interested. Everyone at the age seemed to talk about Les, even though you hadn't been there for a few, few years by then. So anyway, Mitch calls you, Les, and he has the big chat, and then he gives me the handpiece, because you know, Neil had to get the first edition out. He gives me the handpiece, and that was the start of a 40-year conversation. Remember how you read the manuscript of my first book, 1988? I took it to the old house at Seven Oak Street. It wasn't hard to spot, Les. It was the only house in Bourne with a tractor and a carport. Won't keep you, Les. As I write this, it's an hour before dawn. Best hour of the day, you always told me. Never miss a sunrise, Andy. And if you don't stay up all night, just get up before dawn. God knows when you actually slept. Dawn spoke to you. You sensed racing stables coming alive while the ordinary world slept. You called it racing's closed society. You loved it and no one has ever described it better. The thump of the bags of dirty straw and the tap of the farrier's hammer, strappers swearing at horses as they saddled them, the blue heeler straining at the chain, trying to eat the new apprentice kit. You understood them, the horse people, who shared your taste for the jockey's breakfast, that is a smoke and a good look round. There are plenty of them here today, Les. I think, uh, I rather hope Pato's here. Pato, who should be here down the back somewhere, he led in 46 odd cup winners and he's broken in a couple of thousand horses. I asked him why blokes like him rated you, Les, and Pato just growled at me, because Les gets it right. So apart from everything else, you're the poet laureate of the track. You didn't invent Bart Cummings, he did that, he did that himself, but you were the first to catch his likeness way back in 1974. You wrote that line that the rest of us keep pinching, Patrick and I have done it often, about Bart's eyebrows curling up as if they're in search of a trellis. And that story of yours, one of many, about Bart and the health inspector. Health inspector says, you've got too many flies, uh, Mr Cummings, and Bart turns around and says, how many am I, am I allowed to have? All these yarns you wrote about Bart, you made him a national figure, bigger than racing. Without you, Les, there'd be no bronze statue of Bart downstairs. Won't keep you, Les. 
The way that restless mind hummed after midnight. It wasn't just the stables calling, was it, Les? Your clock was set in the last golden era of newspapers, the 1960s and 70s. You'd come home still wired from the daily miracle of producing a newspaper, and you'd stay that way until dawn. I suspect even after you left that life, it never really left you, did it? You once said to me you wondered how you would have gone in America, testing yourself against the best in the land that produced so many of our heroes, Mark Twain and Mencken, Joe Palmer and Joe Liebling, Runyon and Reg Smith. You didn't go there to work, but their words came to you. You absorbed them. We all learn by imitation and repetition, Les, but you added other things, intelligence, that prodigious memory and imagination. And under that homespun, hard-bitten exterior, you were the most sensitive of men with an intellect to match that imagination. You showed it all your life, but never more than in the opening chapters of Gallipoli. It was mesmerising. The night I started reading the copy that you'd signed and given to me, I couldn't stop. I read and read and read, and then Les, I dreamed about the charge at the neck. It was actually a nightmare. Not many people write like that. The year Gallipoli came out, we got a plumber to our place, 17 stone of tattoos in a blue singlet. He had a van full of tools and rubbish and on the dash next to a meat pie and an empty stubby was a copy of Gallipoli. Norm the plumber just had to have it to read at Smoko and lunchtime. And when I told you about this, you were delighted, but you weren't surprised. Your readers were real people, everyday people, you said. Andy, you'll never sell many books if your readers are only the people who read broadsheet reviews. Of course, you were right. Won't keep you, Les, not much longer. Some of us got to see you lay out a page, write a killer headline and caption, rewrite copy. I think you might have won one major award for uh, a leading overseas correspondent who shall not be named. You turned lead into gold. You could do nearly anything in a newspaper except run the presses. The truth is, you were always really only one thing, Les, and that is a perfectionist about anything that interested you. I, went, I once went up to your study, library, office. It was also a smokehouse. You had maybe a thousand books in there and everyone was pickled in tobacco smoke. You reached into your storeroom where you kept a perfect World War I officer's military saddle, as you would, and grabbed a bridle that you'd made. You knew I'd be interested. It was stitched to fit one horse. There were no buckles, no adjustment. You'd made it fit like a glove. It was perfect. And that bridle, Les, was you. You made everything perfect, but words were always top of the list. I saw you get one letter out of place in 40 years. 
I make more mistakes every day. As Chopper Reed said, even Beethoven had his critics, but you didn't have many. You collected friends and admirers. As Neil said, probably stole my line, some of your boys were girls like Jen Byrne, Corrie Perkin, Virginia Trioli, Jill Baker, and many others. Last week, when the sad news broke, a group of your female admirers gathered for a drink and they swapped Les stories. And the drink flowed and people got a bit frank. And one of these people who shall remain nameless leaned over to Jennifer Byrne and said, Les wrote like an angel, but there was always one horse too many. Don't worry, mate. That one's from Sydney and she just wouldn't know. As if you can have one horse too many. Les, you're a grandfather and a father, a prose stylist, a critic, an historian, a mentor and a mate, a teacher who never stopped learning. You turn knowledge into wisdom. And best of all, Les, you were kind as well as clever. No ego, no spite, a rare quinella in the biggest race of all, the human race. Pushing words around the page, you said writing was, you pushed millions of them for nearly 60 years and everyone was ground down to a perfect finish. It was the only thing that really mattered apart from your family. But you knew that what mattered more than the words left on the page were the ones you left out. Your tribute to Denise in your last book captures that. You wrote these words, I owe her more than words can say. And there it is, a lifetime of love and gratitude in eight words. Les, we're all going to miss you more than words can say. Rest in peace. And that's it for the Andrew Rule double plus bonus episode thank you andrew andrew's books are underbelly and more i wrote in one of the books andrew edited it's called man and beast it was a tribute to my dog charlie dog who died five years ago this week very sad in fact i'm going to put a tribute to charlie up on my personal substack and that one is goodonewilson.substack.com epsilon the story is called look out for it it's one of my faves when in a book called man and beast thank you to pat carline my old schoolmate he's one of walkley himself les's son who donated that speech to our archive thank you pat thank you to docplay.com they are the sponsor of speakola for these 10 episodes appreciate the help there paul wigard who i mentioned earlier he and Madman are behind DocPlay. It's a great streaming service if you're just interested in documentaries. And if you go to docplay.com forward slash racks forward slash speakola, that tells Paul that this podcast 
sent you to him. So please go there. That link's in the show notes as well. Thanks for being part of this extra episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Speak well.